Hey, and welcome to the next episode of Head Noise Official. Developed and produced to provide an insight into overcoming adversity and build resilience. Created by Ben to help you break destructive life cycles. He unpacks life's hard lessons so you don't have to. Head Noise Official is brought to you by Admino. Admino is a cloud-based platform built to automate business information for owners and managers that take back their time. Check out www.admino.com. That's A-D-M-I-N-O-H.com. Now here's your host, Ben Jobson. Okay, welcome to Head Noise Official, another episode of our uh, fledgling podcast where we unpack all of life's hard lessons, hard subjects, and I guess we encroach on some unfamiliar territory for traditional uh, alpha males and people that wouldn't really usually talk about their feelings. Uh, joined today by our producer, Mark Webby Webb, off to my left. G'day, guys. And our guest today, uh, who we'll, we're going to delve into his life and his upbringing and his, his um, I guess you'd say, distinguished career, Anthony Connedy. Welcome, big fella. Hey, mate, how are you? Very well, very well. We're, uh, what's the story, Webby? What's happening today, mate? Mate, I think we're going to dive into a bit of Anthony's background and, um, you know, obviously stick to the theme of the podcast where we talk about, um, you know, facing adversity and, and, and what we've been able to do to overcome it and um, build resilience moving forward. So, yeah, I think we are maybe touch a little bit on, you know, how we come about Anthony and a bit about his history and then find out a bit more. Sounds good. Good to go. Good to go. Good stuff. All right. So, I guess we'll uh, we'll start with, with, um, with what? sort of I know about you from our sort of brief discussions with the introduction through Webby. So born and raised western suburbs of Sydney, Mount yeah, Druitt. Mount Druitt, yeah. Mount Druitt. So obviously that's a, for those who aren't aware of Mount Druitt, Mount Druitt's a, would you guess sort of say a traditional government housing project sort of area, low socio? Yeah, I think, I think it's, a, it's a pretty low socioeconomic area. Yeah. Uh, it's got a pretty bad rap, I think, with a, a few of the shows that came out. In the past, that's that uh, struggle street and stuff that sort of put us on the map in a negative negative light. But I think of late, like we spoke about earlier, the Penrith boys uh, putting us on the map in a good light, and yeah. so the, the boys can uh, come out and do do good things out of, out of the struggle. So, bro, it's funny you mentioned that struggle street because I, I remember from yeah. like Carroll Park and Anala, I remember the blow up. The people were blowing yeah. up deluxe about it, yeah. and I was thinking to myself, I, I actually remember being at work one day going. Fuck, I know these people. Yeah. I know these people. That's yeah. where I came from. Yeah. And, and it just, you take for that one minute and you're like, fucking wow. That's yeah. the that's the start that I had to life. And I, this is sort of where I've come from today. Mm. It's unreal. And I just wanted to touch on that about that show because it's funny. It sort of it, it evoked a, an instant memory for me about that. Yeah. When you were growing up in Mount though, did, did you realise how, how bad it was? Or it wasn't something that even... You thought in your mind it was just that was just that was just life growing up. No, yeah, for me, um, like Mount Druitt's home. Like, yeah. I, I didn't spend. Well, it was always home base. I think when I grew up, I grew up with a dad that was in the navy also. So we moved. Through, I lived in Darwin, uh, camps like down in Melbourne, all over Sydney. I went to twelve schools growing up. Yeah. Uh, but Mount Druitt was where my family were. That's my connection to my um, my culture. As a wanderer with Camilleroy man, my connection to my culture was my grandmother. She was from Mount Druitt. Any time that I went back to Mount Druitt, I felt comfortable. I felt like a, like an old glove. So Mount Druitt was always home base for us. Yeah. But, um, and I didn't not, not until I got older. Even when I um, 
when I was about 18, 19, when I joined the Navy, and I'd bring mates back to me after it, because that's when that's when that was, mm. and we'd love to go there and um, you know watch local footy and stuff. And, I, and that, that sort of started when I started looking at my mates and how they would look at this local shops or we'd go to the local pub, and I started seeing it through their eyes. Yeah. And I sort of thought, oh, it's not like I'd look at natural with rose coloured glasses. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. Because it was home. Yeah. And then I started going, oh shit, it isn't that good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, it's a bit, it is a bit shit here. Well, because yeah, mates were from what more traditional like this higher end sort of stuff. Yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, from higher end. Or they hadn't been to that sort of area. They might have been eastern suburbs kids, so from Bondi or yeah. stuff like that, and that they hadn't experienced that life. And they, you know, we jump on the train and be an hour train ride from um, where we lived in Bondi when I was in the navy. Yeah, and we'd come in as each stop got closer and closer to Mount Druitt, the scenery would change, and the boys would start to oh look at that and laugh and that. Yeah, like, oh, this boy's taking the piss out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then as a, for me, my heart every time we got closer, I was getting excited. Yeah, I'd yeah. see my family. We'd get off the train station, we'd walk through Mount Druitt shops and. Thinking now, yeah, it's a dive, it was a dive. Yeah. But and they go, oh, they're pointing at things like, oh, look at that, as in in shock. And that's your normal. But yeah, and I'm like, oh no, that's yeah, that's so and so. Oh, that's uncle. Oh, yeah, I know you're going and running yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. So they like Blackwater, because I grew up in you know central Queensland and I had a little town Blackwater. Yeah, that's all I was sort of used to, but we didn't leave home to well, I went away for sports and everything, but yeah. we didn't go on too many family holidays or anything in that sort of sense. But and then, then going to Sydney. Uh, it kind of opened my eyes up to realising that people look at like little country yeah. towns or areas yeah. like that completely different, or they think it's foreign, or you know, it's it's almost the same as like when you make, make when you travel overseas and you make jokes to people over there about riding kangaroos and stuff. Like people in big cities kind of feel the same way about yeah, country, country people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, don't have a clue. No. I'm um. I'm just wondering if we should have a bit of a, a bit of a timeline, just a bit of background on Anthony's sort of timeline, then we can come back and probably delve into uh, the areas that you're most passionate about. Yeah. So from, you, you just mentioned a second ago that you joined the Navy. So my understanding, uh, obviously, Mount Truett moved around a lot, then you joined the military. Yeah. And you spent, well, I'll let you, I'll, um, I'll just establish a bit of a timeline, then we'll delve in. But So you've, you've spent time in the Navy. Yep. And eight years in the navy, and then was it four years in, yeah, in the army? Four years in the army, yeah. Which you said you did. You went to Afghanistan. I went to the Middle East. You yeah, went to the Middle East yeah. or Afghanistan. Uh, when I was in the navy, I'd done border protection. Went to just off the coast of Somalia and went on the pirate patrols. Yeah, we were seizing the heroin that the Taliban were creating, and they'd bring it down. So we'd go, we'd stay off the coast and the ships there. And I was part of the boarding team that would go in there and seize the drugs. Seize the drugs, yeah. 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 And then, and then from there into the military, uh, into the army, into the army, into yeah. the army. Yeah. and the army, you were infantry in the infantry, army, yeah, infantry, yeah, yeah, fair, right. Well, so that's a, so that's a already, um, already a fair achievement. Obviously, mm-hmm. starting, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to stereotype it, but you sort of started in a lower socioeconomic yeah. area, and we spoke about before, and something, something lit that fire for you to be successful and to have that. Um, me said to me, you the feeling of home. You also felt that in the military as well. Yeah, definitely. I definitely found that. I think growing up, um, my dad was in the navy, and I don't mind talking about this. He was a he was a pretty ordinary father. I grew up in a domestic violent home. Uh, coming home, bash he'd bash my mum, uh, knock me around, do all that sort of stuff. And she, my mum was sort of uh, our, our rock, like my sister, yeah. me and my sister's rock. And she was she would every twelve months we'd uproot and move to a different town, different and. So we were sort of isolated, and that's why Mount Druitt was our home because we knew we had a big family base back there. Whether where it been, we'd move, and then Dad would be away for nine months, safe, 10 months of the year. 
and then he'd come over three months a year, hit my around and go out again. So um, I suppose I had every opportunity. I was hanging out with the wrong crowd, of, you know, because when you're the new kid, every time you're the new kid at school, you just go, you just take the opportunity with who can you can hang out with. Yeah. With who you can hang out with, with who you can hang out with. So yeah. you sort of, because you're the new kid, you don't, you, you don't, you're not flush with choices for who to hang. So you, nine times out of ten, every time I was a new kid at school, I then ended up hanging out with the, I suppose, the Daros or the people that were doing the wrong thing, wagging and stuff like that. And um, I could have taken that path, I suppose. And then, I suppose I'm about 16, 17, um, a few of my close mates got in a lot of trouble with with the police, and I, I got caught up in that. And I was fortunate enough to to not get involved, not get locked up. The two of the guys I was with actually got locked up and served quite long, lengthy sentences in, inside. Mm. And it was at that point, um, I was estranged from my dad. We weren't really talking. And I'd always wanted to join the Navy, not because of my dad, but because I had family in on my nan's side. So um, my Aboriginal, oh, Aboriginal side of my family that had all served. And my nan always said, she's passed away now, but she always said, like, who better to defend the country than traditional owner of the country 100%. so um so that was a goal for me and i joined the navy and it turned out that i joined the navy doing the same job my dad did and you talk about that fire the fire for me and i suppose you've got to find it any way you can it's a bit of a negative fire but i just wanted to beat him i just yeah. wanted to be better than him yeah. so i thought and i think you spoke, you're a diesel mechanic in, in the navy i joined as an engineer so i was a fitter and turner by trade and i thought well you know what if i joined the navy i'll be the best fucking fitter and turner there is yeah and so that's what i want to do and i had his name associated with with me from day one so and he was a he was a fucking shit person in the navy as much as he was outside of the navy yeah so the, i think i remember first uh when i first got to the engineering faculty you do 18 months at the engineering faculty to do your trade um there's a guy there that was our boss and he knew my dad and the first day i was there he come in pulled me out of the class and he goes you're a fucking jock campbell you're a jock son yeah yeah sweet and um i said yeah i am and he goes you're not getting past these course. You're not fucking making it. So, and then from there, every every weekend, he'd cancel my leave or he'd do this and do that, or um, I'd go home, go and fly home, back down to Mount Druitt, yeah, and stop me, stop me from leaving or bust me, like all this stuff. It was just eighteen months. Honestly. Almost put a target on your head. Just away. a target. And I didn't know because I played good. I played good. I got I got done a few times. Um, just been a scallywag, I suppose. But the day that I graduated there, um, he came up to me, shook my hand, and goes, he goes, "You're not your dad's son. You're not your dad." Mm. And um, yeah, that makes you want to that. Yeah, that was I was proud. Yeah, yeah. it was, really was. I did, I, and that's what I wanted to do. I, I know that I went the path and done the same role as my dad, bro. I didn't want to be him. I wanted to be better than him. Be your man. Yeah. So yeah. But then, yeah. But there, the navy um, helped me. So I did have a lot of uh, a bit of adversity, I suppose, in the navy. I still hadn't sort of grown into a man. I think I still had that boy mindset and um, just expecting things to come to me and. And um, I suppose, I think we spoke about it, Webby, like, yeah. yeah, you just think, you think everything's going to get given to you and you get that expectation and you're not going to work for it. And I think mm. I had a scare when I come, went from Melbourne, we gradu you graduate from Melbourne, keep doing that. Yeah. You graduate from Melbourne, then you go to Sydney uh, and I got my first posting onto a ship and we'd gone out um, the night before and ended up getting done with a with a drug charge. So I come to work and I, and I got drunk, yeah. sorry. And um, I got drunk and I blew over at work and then there was a possibility I was going to lose my job in the Navy and um, had to write a, had to write a thing and you, go, you write show cause and you write this big letter. And that was, I was about the two year mark in the Navy at that point. And I've gone like shit, like, you know, I've done all this to get here and I haven't even started my career. And now um, I can all, I could like 
I could lose it all. That's your awakening. Yeah, and that so was my awakening. And then from that, the sanctions, they imposed a sanction on me for about three years. I couldn't get promoted. Uh, so, you know, I was stuck on the pay scale. I watched my friends around me get promoted. They, My friends that I joined the Navy with became my boss and then my boss's boss. And I was, I could still progress with my qualifications. So I got my trade and then I progressed through the levels of the engineering ranks, but not the rank that you wear on your shoulder. Yeah. So I couldn't be in any position of authority. Um, and I think for me, that was a good thing. Not a good thing. At the time, it was really hard, like really hard, but I just kept my head down and just kept working. And something that I'm still to this day, um, probably pretty proud of. There's a qualification that you can get as an engineer that sometimes it takes up to 10 years. I know it took my dad 15 years to get. Mm. And um, I got it within, I think I got it at the six-year mark or the five-and-a-half-year mark. And that enabled me to be the engineer, engineering officer of the watch. So I was in charge of all the engineering systems on board the warship that I was yeah. working on. Yeah. And um, for me to get that, and then once they lifted the sanction, I got promoted, like two promotions in quick in quick succession. And, um, yeah, I thought like, I'd kicked all the goals. I wanted to yeah. Them. Yeah. It's funny because sometimes all, all that negative angst and all that stuff that's driving you, it, it gets you to a certain point in your life. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, but then you also have to get to that stage where you go, That's, that shit served me really well to yeah. hear. But now I'm like, did you get to this point and go, okay, now well, obviously with your awakening, you're like, okay, now I start to fulfill my potential. I let go of a bit of that. Childhood stuff. Did you ever have that sort of moment where you? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think, and then you sort of. I, you, I know you boys have you, you've been playing footy, and I think in sport, and I think that um that anger can only get you so far. If you're yeah. playing footy against someone, and and you've got a hatred for what, that one man out there, that might only get you so far. That might only get you the first hit up or the first. Yeah, time. yeah. And that, I think that anger got me into the navy, and then that awakening that I had, I was like, hang on, recess, get the goals together. What do I want to see? What do I want to get out of the navy? And that, and then from there, I dropped the anger to lose the baggage mm. and turn it into something else. So, yeah. yeah, I want to go back and touch on a couple of things that you spoke yeah. about. Um, yeah, we talk about like what is it that lights that that fire? Mm. And you mentioned that there's a couple of significant sort of things within that timeline you talk about. Um, do you do you think it lit your fire? Like I know that your dad plays a big part of it, but then that moving to different towns and and being a part of different groups was that something that you were aware of at the time, or were you too young to understand what was happening there? And then also, when you said that you got a bit of trouble with the police, you know, in that situation where some of your friends end up uh, having to, you know, serve time, you know, was there a situation there, or was there anyone around you that, you know, talked to you and tried to help you through that situation and put you on a line, or was it your own mindset of going, okay, no, I need to, I need to do it? I think, for me, um, I talk about the. The moving around, yeah. in hindsight, for me, I, I look back and I look at what my sisters had to go through and sort of what my mum had to go through. As a as a young bloke, um, being new at a school and moving to different towns, it was quite, it was, it was pretty easy. Yeah, me, I played footy, was into sports, so it wasn't that hard being the new guy, so to speak, in that aspect. Mm. And I think in reflection, looking back on what my sisters and, like, Chicks are mean, like you know, to mm. themselves, and they're so mean to each other. Where yeah. for me, um, like the girls are always nice to the new guy, so yeah. it's all right. Mm. And 
Um, good looking rooster too. That, yeah, that's yeah, all right. no. yeah. And you sort of you nearly you nearly do what you need to do to fit into each group too, right? Like oh, you, you you become a follower and you're like, yeah, you, you go along with it. Shapeshift or a bit of yeah. a chameleon. Yeah, it's like oh, you know, when I moved down to Melbourne, everyone liked AFL, so I was like, all right, I like AFL too. Yeah, like, yeah. Move up to Darwin, it was different. Like, and you know, I think I've been like I was into the skating crowd, the BMX crowd, surfing. Like, I've yeah. done it all, you know, because that's just what I had to do. You're exactly right. Yeah. Um, so I think the one person. That when I did start getting in trouble and I was falling off the rails, I think, yeah, my nan and my mum, like the women around me that raised me, because I was raised by all women, I didn't have any men really in my life to help tell me how to be a man. The men that I did have in my life, um, not that they were bad, but they just weren't doing great. They weren't excelling in their lives or anything like that. And your your cultural side, that's your mum's side? That's mum's side, mom's yeah. Side. So and me and my nan had a really... Um, I was the first grandchild of the first grandchild, so we had a strong connection and I'd always be, like, I ended up moving into Nan's, I think I was a 16 or something, and, yeah, she was probably the one that sort of slapped me around a bit and yeah. just told me to pull my head in. And, yeah. um, and I thought it wasn't anything to sort of, for me, I just didn't want to let down her, didn't want to, and I looked at the sacrifices that my mum had, had to go through and I thought, fuck, like, you know, she was one getting hit around, she was one moving up, uprooting, didn't get to have a career mm. while she was with my dad. And I thought, fuck, <clears throat> If I don't achieve anything, like, what's her life then? Like, in yeah, she's yeah. done all that shit for yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was it. And I've always, like, you know, when my mum finally got, we, we were in a situation where we could leave dad. Um, I think I was, like, 14. And we, me and mum, like, I left. I had to work. Like, I was cutting classes in school to, to help pay the rent with mum. And, like, we were, we were a team. So yeah. it was always together. And that, I was quite nervous when I did leave the, to go to the Navy because I was sort of leaving that. Because you're now yeah, yeah. So you you're really the man of the house from from a young age, really. Like you're you're probably upstanding in in a in yeah. a certain way for your sisters and that. Like you yeah. you're probably the only positive role model male role model that they would have had at the time. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, it feels funny to to say that. But um, like, like like one of my sisters, yeah, she never even knew that. Like you know, he was pretty much from the day she was born. She hasn't. She's never lived with that yeah. dad or anything like that. Has never seen him. Yeah. So um, I think I yeah and. Having kids now and reflecting on that, um, yeah, I suppose it was. Yeah, I suppose it was like that. Yeah. Mm. Is that crazy once you have kids and you reflect on your own life and like a lot of this sort of stuff comes up? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was I that. doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah, it's crazy. It's like a whole new window opens up. Yeah. I just want to go back to briefly tell us about um, obviously your your culture, your your mum's side because I see you speak about it. You're you're very very emotional and very passionate about it. So we you tell us a little bit about sort of your background and, and your mob? Yeah, mate, yeah, yeah. So my, um, Wanarua and Kimilroy man. So my nan's, my nan's dad, um, Harold Hinton, he was a Wanarua man. So Wanarua was in uh, Singleton, that's Wanarua country. And my great-grandmother, um, Christine Hinton, uh, <coughs> she's passed away too. She only passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, she was a Kimilroy woman from Coonabarabran. She grew up on um, Barabadee Mission. And, um, yeah, they got together and, um, yeah, moved to, they lived in Redfern when they first, yeah, met and lived in Redfern for a bit in Everly Street and then um, yeah, that's met through it. And that, growing up, um, for me, even the, yeah, you talk about culture, that was, for me growing up with that, like I always knew where I was from. I was so, we were so rich in culture with my nan. She was in the black space and working really hard. She helped set up one of the first um, Aboriginal uh, daycares in yeah, Detroit. Yeah. So she was in, very instrumental in that starting and instrumental around the uh, AMS, the Aboriginal Medical Service, starting up there in, in Mount Druitt. So 
she was from day one. She was dragging me to um, to meetings and stuff, and we'd go. Like I've got a photo when I was I was like twelve in a suit and tie, and she's dragging, you know, and I'm standing there with the bloody with John Howard and the, all these other people, and just and that was just a regular event because Nan was really high up in the government with this sort of stuff and mm. helping to implement legislation and policy and. Um, yeah, so we were sort of, and she'd always told me, like, you know, you've got to learn the white way as well. Like, you know, learn to do it the white way because otherwise they're not going to hear. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, and, but we, yeah, we always knew the black way and she always talked about it. We'd go back to where we we're from and talk about that. So, yeah, it's something I'm really passionate about. Do, do you remember, like, one story or one one um, belief or one statement from your mum or your grandmother that sort of sticks with you today that you, you carry from, from then to now or something? Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The connection to culture. Yeah, like, yeah. well, just is there is there something that your, your grandmother always told you or a story that one of the elders has told you that you still is in your head today that you remember? Um, oh, I can't really pinpoint anything in terms of my culture, I think. But I just, it, even what makes it funny, I suppose, in, in light of in recent events, I suppose, or in the current climate is my nan always... She'd always describe herself as, like, as a black bitch. She'd hang, hang on a black bitch. That's what I am. Yeah. And I used to say, man, like, don't talk best. She's like, well, they're not wrong. I'm black and I'm a bitch. Mm. And she was like, if you're not pissing people off, you're not doing the right thing. You've got to stand up. <laughs> and I, and I, I like you, man. She'd drag me to meetings and I'd sit there in the corner as a kid, just, you know, we wasn't playing iPad because we didn't have them back then, but just playing Lego or whatever. And, she would just be arguing with people in the boardroom and the meetings and just going toe-to-toe about some issue that she was passionate about that was going to help our people. Mm. And then we'd leave and we'd go to dinner with the same people she was arguing with and we'd be, she'd be having a beer with them and I'd, and I'd be like, no, I thought you hated him. She goes, no, no, we just disagree on something. Yeah. We're just disagreeing on one thing. She goes, I'm trying to help us. He's trying to do something different. But she goes, we don't hate him. There's nothing. Yeah. And I thought that's – and carrying that with me, that's something I've been pretty – I've carried with me. I'm not going to hate you if I, if I don't agree with you. Yeah. It was something, you know what I mean? And Everyone's entitled to an opinion. Yeah, which is probably a different. What we've got at the moment is, mm-hmm. you know, people do have different opinions, but you've got to stick to that opinion and that's it. Or you've got to take a side, which is, yeah, pretty naive and pretty pretty annoying. Can I, can I talk, and, and I talk to you about this a, a fair bit, we want to talk about on the podcast, is, yeah, being a white fella is, you know, understanding like the difference of, you know, how, how to address. You know, do you, do you say... Yeah, black, do you say white, do you say Murray, do you say Koori? Like sometimes I get a little bit confused and you know, I grew up in a you know, remote country town with a lot of roommates for you know, Murray boys, but even for me sometimes I second guess myself I'm like, well, can I say that? Or am I not going to say that? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. um I can't speak for everyone. Obviously I'm not you know, I'm not from up here either, I'm from from down Sydney, but um mm. like I'm really comfortable yeah, I'm a I'm a Koori fellow, that's who I am. Um I don't even I don't feel comfortable with um, – it's hard because I've got mates who might call me a black fella or call me this, but then if you don't know that guy, and yeah. they're, not, they're not Aboriginal, and if they're calling me black, like, I feel that like that's a bit weird. So, mm-hmm. and But, yeah, Murray, Corey, I think that's – yeah, I think that's acceptable. Yeah. I can understand why I think we spoke about it earlier or, um, like, even, like, the negative connotation associated with Aborigine. Yeah. And that's the, the reason that's negative. Uh, one of the reasons, I think, is when they first come up – when the – first settlers first come over, that's how they were used to describe it and it was always in a negative connotation. A lot of the negative policies that were in place were, were called Aboriginal policies. Mm-hmm. So but then Aboriginal, I think that's that's fine. I know that um like indigenous even in our in our community, in the Aboriginal community, 
we are sort of at war, not war, but there's divided opinion about whether it's Indigenous, Aboriginal, or First Nations people. And at yeah. the moment, I can see arguments for all three. Yeah. Because if you look at the definition of Aboriginal, it's just the first settlers of the, of the land. Yeah, funny you say that because I think yeah. Aborigine actually means the the people native to that area or, or the people yeah. that, are, yeah. that are born there on that area. Yeah, so that could be. It's a very vast term. Yeah. Yeah. The same as Indigenous. Like yeah. Same. yeah. So it's really. That's why I think I'm more married to the terms of like Kuri or Murray or Noongar yeah. or Yolongu, like from Tassie and stuff like all that, because that's that's associated with the area. Yeah. And then if you want to get more specific, like yeah, I'm a Warrnambool and Gamilaroi man. That's you know that's who I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that one thing that'd be nice that, that it's just common knowledge that everyone would know those regions across Australia? Yeah, I think it'd be. I think it would be. I think it'd be really. Yeah. It's a shame that you don't. You know, like I think. Uh, yeah. Um, it'd be cool. Like I know that I've got mates that have play footy with and work with the, from New Zealand, like these are like not, not Maori guys or anything like that, but they know the, the town they're on, they yeah. know whose country that was, yeah. they can speak some language words about that country, like it's it's pretty impressive how they've done that. So It's, it's funny you say that, and I'll butt in because it, it actually, I'm pretty passionate about it, the New Zealand National Anthem. Yeah. What a, what a beautiful piece of music. Oh, man. Because you see the Maori, the Maori part of the anthem and, and the European part of the anthem and... I last few times I've seen sporting events or whatever, they're all united and they all singing it loud and proud. Yeah. Whereas you change you change a couple of words in, in advance Australia Fair and it's meant to appease everyone. Yeah. And I'm kinda of like, come on, there's gotta be we have to be able to do something better. Right? Yeah. Well, I think so, yeah. yeah. Like it's so. not, yeah. Mm. To the point where that national anthem of New Zealand, even though I'm not from New Zealand, that national anthem makes me feel proud. Mate, I'll get tears. Do you know what I mean? When I was in the Navy, I went to Canada. We played like a in a World Cup for in Union, yeah. And we had like all these nations there, and a lot of like all the Polynesian nations and their navies were there. And even this, they don't have in the New Zealand Navy were there. And everyone knew that anthem, like everyone, and everyone yeah. done the haka, everyone done each nation's dance, war dance and stuff. And even the white fellows that were in their navy that were to work on, and then there there we were, Australia just. Stand there waiting to play. Yeah. <laughs> Can I break it down, Mark? When, and sorry for being naive, but with, with the anthem, what is it within the anthem that wants to be changed or what is the ultimate goal that would, would bring us together in, in relation to that issue? Do you know? Or? No, I don't really. It's not something I've really been too yeah, vocal or too, vocal, too opinionated. opinionated on. It's, yeah. not, like, it's not an anthem that... Um, Look, I hear a lot of this is yeah, this is pretty interesting because I, I I see a lot of people on um on Instagram or well, sorry not Instagram but social media and it's yeah. like it's their ride or die it's the hill that they want to die on yeah. on both sides and they're so passionate about the um about the anthem and for me and they go oh our soldiers served and died for that anthem or that flag or yeah. I know I've done twelve years in the military and I'll tell you right now um I can the majority of my mates that I know. And I've lost mates in the service and stuff. I, we don't give a fuck about the anthem or the yeah. fucking flag. You know, I didn't go. I didn't go over there for a fucking flag. I didn't yeah. go over there for an anthem. I went over there because the blokes, the men and women I was next to me that were wearing the same uniform, yeah, they were willing to die for me as well. I mean, yeah. it wasn't. We weren't over there getting out of helicopters or going onto boats with pirates and they're going, fucking just do it for the flag. Yeah, the flag. <laughs> yeah you were you weren't there for a liberal or Labor government. <laughs> no, where yeah, you're there when for I was there, the, the patriot. It's a funny story. The government, we had, while I was overseas, we were there for six or seven months uh, when I was in the Middle East. And we had, there was a time when they had all the prime ministers, oh, four prime ministers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, every time we'd get internet, 
we get the big download of internet, you'd be reading it. Oh, new prime minister. And we're like, oh, this will change. <laughs> and we go, nothing's changing. We're still getting up. We're still kitting up. We're still going over there and doing stuff. Like, yeah. You know, so that's sort of like, as a young fella, um, opened my eyes to sort of just the bullshit with his politics. And yeah. I thought, oh, well, we're still doing the same job. Yeah. 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 But I thought, you know, with, with issues like that is, like, if someone could come come forth with just some really easy uh, understanding of what we want to do or where we want to do, then, then everyone can make a decision. But I feel, I feel like there's so many issues that don't really know what it wants to be changed to, or like, what do we want to? Yeah. What do we want to actually do? Or like, if you could change one thing, you know, what what would that be? And could we all just get on board? Like for me, like yeah, my dad served in the military too, and everything. If if something got put towards me where look, we want to change the anthem and, and we want to you know address First Nation or or speak in a different dialect, or sing in a different dialect. Like, I'd be all for it. Like, mm. if that brings us all together, yeah, well, then let's do it. Yeah. But I kind of feel like we're having arguments. Like, there's, there's issues or arguments that keep getting popped up on social media, but there's never really a resolution or, like, no. or something put forth. Yeah. Like, okay, this is what we want to do. Put it up for a discussion and say, no, nah, let's not do that. Then let's start the, let's start the change or the process <laughs> to get to the point of yeah. agreeing on it. I think it's, yeah. one, it's very thought-provoking, and two, it's very emotional, yeah. As well, yeah. Like you hear, you talk about the whole, the whole military, and obviously, you know, my grandfather yeah. is a Rattlebrook, and you see all that. But then, if you break it down to what some of the advocates are for changing the anthem, what they're about, like the, and and I've I've just I've been listening to this, um, you know the Paul Kelly song from Little Things, yeah. Big Things with Ziggy Ramo, yeah. 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 So you listen yeah. to that, and you listen to the narrative, and. That hits me pretty hard, that yeah. song. And you you hear that, you know, one of his lines is like in 1945, you went, we went to war against a terrible genocide. And it sort of, then he's saying, but why won't you fight for me, being the Indigenous, yeah. Koori, Noongar, you know, Murray community of Australia. And it's really, that's, that's the thought-provoking part of it because we all have... That, that European influence and that on our lives, that, that's positive also. There's a lot of negatives about it, but that's positive. So that's a good question, Webby. Where, where's that balance? How do you how do you mend those bridges? How, how do you? Yeah, I think it's important. I, I think that's a really good question. And, um, yeah, like, like you were saying, Webby, I think, yeah, yeah, like a lot of people have this, they've got these arguments or they're not happy, but there's no, I think people just love being, like just love picking things apart with mm. no answer. Yeah. And I think it's really hard. And I think where we do start and I think we're slowly getting there is we start with the kids, you know, and I don't think, I think as sad as it is to say, a lot of the generations, probably our generation, the ones older than us, we're probably not going to fix that. We're probably not going to, no. we're not going to come together. But if, yeah, if we're raising our kids in in the shadow of what we want, want them to be or how we want them to be, and I think I'm pretty hopeful that um, the next generation's coming through, like are going to, it's gonna they're gonna find a middle ground mm. and see how we're all gonna to get together because if we keep trying to appease the people that are in, in the older generations, I think we're not gonna get there. Mm. Yeah, they're fairly steadfastly stuck in their opinions a lot of that yeah. generation. So you can't you can't really mould them or I guess change their opinion somewhat. No. It's mm. quite challenging. Yeah. Almost needs to get to the point where it's not even a discussion, it's just that the young people everyone already has that understanding and respect for other cultures. Mm. And they know the history of it. Yeah. You know, like I, I think still even now, like even for me, you know, yeah, mid thirties and I'm still trying to learn about different cultures and stuff like like whether or not I didn't listen at school enough, but yeah, yeah. you know, if it can just become common knowledge then it's not such a 
I don't know if is the right word to use, but mm. taboo topics to be you know, brought up and people to get sort of offended or upset about it because everyone just knows and accepts. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. And, and it starts, you're right, it starts with probably us and that encouragement of the growth mindset yeah. and not mm. being in that. And that, that's probably, it's probably a, a good point, not just for this topic, but for everything. Yeah. You know, mental health, personal growth, that ability to look outside and go, hey, you know what, to call bullshit on something and go, I'm probably not happy with that, I can do a bit better. Yeah. It's probably a good point around the place. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a long road, though. Oh, it is a long road. It's a long road. Yeah. And the more you start looking at it and then people go, well, that's wrong too, or this is, you know, it's just sort of, yeah. the more you know, the more you figure out. Yeah. yeah. I think it's... It's good to see, though, like, uh, you know, the clothing, the gap clothing and stuff yeah. like that. How, like, how good is it? You walk through most of that, and I, and I use this term very loosely and not to be offensive. Do you know how you, you're out somewhere and you see a random South jersey? Yeah. You're starting to see that now yeah, with, yeah. with the clothing. No, you would are. you agree? Yeah. 100%. And you're like, how good? Yeah. Because yeah. you just wouldn't. Two years ago, I didn't see that. no. no. I think it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, Anthony's a South fan, so you should be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You relate to that, yeah. 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 You'd relate to that, right? You know what I mean? No matter where you go, oh, I'm at the Super Bowl. Yeah. Fucking that dude over there's got a South jersey on. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, let's talk back into your time in the Navy there where you were jumping on pirate ships. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, that, that must have been hectic and you must have to, yeah, overcome some, you know, nerves or stresses of, yeah, getting on there with the potential of... Yeah, is it, is it live and die situations and for people that were around you or? Um, it, it wasn't too bad. Like it wasn't, we were, I was never in any, I suppose, like combat situations. Yeah. So to speak, we were over there just doing, it's more of a security task force. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we seized a lot of, I think 1.2 tonne worth of heroin in the six months or seven months that we were there. Yeah. Um, and we, yeah, bought, done a lot of boardings and in that moment, um, like it was just fun. Like yeah. it's just fucking because you know what we could we could actually we had a guy come on when we first got into the area in the Middle East and we had um, uh, I think a guy from America I can't remember but he said this is how you, this is what you're achieving this is this is how the heroin's made and then this is where it comes from this is where it goes and then from here it's a it's a, an African port and then it's going to get filtered down to the Western countries and then all the Western then that's who that's who the market is and then the Westerners buy it and then that money essentially is filled like that money's funding. The terrorism. All right. So then, so that sort of pumped us all up. We thought, well, we're doing a good job. We're not in a, we're not over here killing people. Yeah. No reason. We're mm. just getting drugs. Mm. So that's, mm. I can understand that. It's not, and it's, you know what? It's heroin. It's not like I'm getting, like, I don't know, weed or something like that where you go, oh, I find it really hard to get yeah. in terms of that. But it's heroin. Yeah. Sweet. That's good. Yeah. Um, and you're in that team. Like we had, I think it was a 12 man team. So there's two teams. And I was, I was lucky enough to be a part of it. And yeah, the, the training that you do and you're with those, with them team members and, um, the, the amount of reps you put in before you get there, I suppose, that, and then by the time you get over there and you're doing it, mm. it's sort of, you, we sort of just had to pinch ourselves. But yeah. once we were there, we'd see one of the boardings we've done, we get over there and we see all the drugs and the drugs are there and everything. Everyone's been apprehended or put to the side and we're sort of just taking a moment. Mm. And I think we're there with like, I think it was like three or 400 kilos of heroin just on the ground. Mm. I just remember looking at the mates and we're just, we're just sort of like, just fucking laugh, like just laughing. Fuck, like, we just did this. Like, you know, yeah, 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 you just stop and smell the roses and go, yeah. shit. And you, and you do think, like, what did it, because a lot of times, I suppose, um, even in sporting things, sporting stuff, and, you know, you see people win the grand final, and I don't want to liken it to that, but you see people achieve these big things, and a lot of people just see that that little snapshot. Yeah. And that's what they see, and they go, oh, fuck, like, or they think about 
because he got that one field goal, that one by one point. Yeah. You know, it's not just that fucking field goal. Like, so yeah, that attributed to it, but it's uh, fucking 18 years of the, yeah. to get there. And I suppose for me, um, that culminate that combination of sort of my career to get over there. There yeah. was every every left and right turn that I took led me to that to point, that point to get there, and that's something that um, and it, the anniversary of it uh, was uh, yesterday, five years ago today. Yeah, yeah, I was over there. So with me and my mates in group chat, yeah, this, I sent a few, we we'll sent pictures and stuff of each other. So sort of. And you think, fuck, I'm going to talk about this for the rest of my life. It's cool. Yeah. And, and, and while, while you're over there, while you're serving and stuff, was, was there any times that you, you, know, you had to face adversity to sort of overcome it? Like, you know, we talk about like homesickness or... And those, um, so that, like obviously that group of mates and those officers and that that you serve with, they're, they're going to be your buddies for life, eh? Hey? Yeah, I think it's... In, it, it's I, I was liking it to, um, like, you share the worst... So it's like the worst of times with the best people and I've got the best memories from it. Yeah. At that time in that situation when you're away, let's say it's three or four months into a six or seven month trip away from home and you've missed, you know, you've missed the fourth or fifth birthday of your one of your close family members or you've missed the birth of a niece or a nephew or a cousin or mm. um, in that moment, you're just down. Like you just think, oh, this is fucking shit, you know. Yeah. Um, so you sort of go in, you go in a lot and... This is something that I've still, I've only been out for about three years, 18 months, three years, and I've still sort of come to terms with it, I suppose. You sort of don't, I, I sort of resonate with the fact when some people say, like, oh, he never came home, or he never really came home, or she never really came home from there, because you're so into your, you're so inwards, and you look, you're in your head for that whole six or seven months, and, um, and when you do come home, it's really hard to be in a social situation where you want to come outwards because you, mm. your comfort, like your teddy bear or your blanket, mm. is you yeah. inside. So you get, and then, um, you t- like I talk about mental health, I suppose, and you find out really quickly that back here in Australia, when you're not in that high tense situation, being in your head that much isn't healthy. Yeah. It's not good, and it actually you start to be detrimental or damaging to your actual mindset and your mental health. Yeah, and it took me um probably about twelve to 18 months, I suppose, once I had come, gotten out of the army to go and see someone, to go and see, to see a counsellor or see a psychologist. And that was the push that I sort of, um, that I needed. And it took, it took a long time. I think a lot of people don't talk about this. And it's something that I didn't realise. I think I've seen about eight or nine different psychologists until I found, like, the right one. Yeah. And I went, oh, yeah, she, that's her. Yeah. She's here. I can talk freely. And I, I tried the whole, the first few that I'd go and see you know, you sort of try and sugarcoat a few things or you leave out half of the story or you took and then yeah. it took a while to find something. You know what I'm just going to fucking fall in. Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. This is not everything and you think, what is she going to do? But no, it's really good. Yeah. What, what do you think? To, what, why do you think it took you so long to go see someone? Did you feel like it was, yeah, mandate go and see psychologists or anything like that? Was I that just, just, yeah. So, or I mean, you thought you could just be it yourself? I just didn't think I needed to. And yeah. I thought I could fix everything with the gym. Yeah. I thought I could fix everything with, the physicality of going in there and um, and just like training my ass off and getting into that that mindset and hurting myself and doing that every day and that was you know and I had him and that was sometimes I, I discovered just before I started seeing a cycle got the regular therapy I suppose I would tell people that like oh you know I've got to I've got to kill myself in the gym for an hour every day and then that's that yeah. fixed me and I yeah. thought that was like a badge of honor or maybe sound tough like yeah. and that now I feel like you're a fucking idiot and then yeah. for me personally. I'm, I don't want to give any therapy advice to anyone, but one of the big things that I've discovered um, going to see my psychist, she actually told me this interesting thing where 
she goes, when you're, because when I was, I trained whether I was low or whether I was high. It didn't matter. If I'm, at, uh, I'm up here, I train. <coughs> yeah. If I'm down here, I train. And, and what I was found, I didn't find until she pulled it apart and we talked. It was the days that I was feeling really good, really good, and I'd go and do that big workout. That was the days, a couple of days after, that I'd go and fuck up or I'd go and I'd, I'd do a big night on the piss or, mm. and I'd go and, and she goes, it's, it's, yeah, so she goes, when you're at that really high point, just go and do some yoga or go for a swim. Yeah. Don't go and wreck yourself in the gym. She goes, but when you're low, you need to train. Yeah. Because yeah. when you're high, it's, you're already full. You don't really need to do it. Yeah. And that for me, that was, that's been a, that has been a game changer. Yeah. Like, yeah. In the last maybe six months. Yeah. I think that's what you, because I'm the same as you. Like, it, it took me a few um, visits to different psychologists to try and find the right person for me. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing you learn from them. Like, if people are listening or watching this now and they they haven't done it, but it's something that they're thinking about, is just go because you'll eventually you'll find that right person and they'll start to give you just little little golden nuggets that will work for you. And everyone's got a mind. Like, they might say something that and they're not even giving you it. A, a nugget, but you you'll take it in your own perspective, mm, and then you'll start, and then you'll start to make your own adjustments on those you know thoughts or the actions that they tell you to kind of to, to follow. But yeah, it is important to find someone that you can open up and actually tell them everything. Because I I think I was the same. I was sort of half given half given a bit of information yeah. here, half given a bit of information there. But then uh, yeah, I found this this lady that was really good, and, and I was and I might have mentioned in the last episode that. Because um, the dad was at VNM, we, we get that free counselling through the, um, what's it called, the VETS? Yeah, DBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. That, that's that's awesome for us. But I think uh, Louise in the last episode was saying that there is plans and everything out there for guys and, and girls that, you know, should go along and, and get checked. Yeah, I think also too, you, you, you often you can get to that point yourself where you're starting to evolve and you're starting to change things, but there's nothing wrong with getting that. Like I see a psychologist as well. Yeah. Openly talk about it. Mm. You you need that bit of a top up or a bit of a repackage to how you're thinking about things sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And someone that my, my psychologist will challenge me. He'll be like, "Really? Do you, have you ever thought of it this way?" Yeah. Mm. And to actually have someone because when it's your missus or when it's one of your mates, you're like, ah. Mm. But when it's like you're paying this professional, and you've got to have faith in them. It really makes you stand up and be counted a little bit. Yeah, exactly. You're like, well, I didn't think of it that way. And you kind of, they make you ponder, if anything, and they change your, you, you probably think more, but you think more in an analytical way instead of an emotional way. Would that be fair? That's a, that's a really good statement, yeah. But I think when you've got when you've got that emotional mindset yeah. associated with it, you're sort of almost offended if you've got to change or, you know, you sort of, because you've invested so much. But when you think of it analytically and, Take a step back, almost like doing your trade or you're working on a bit of kit, and you got to think of it like that. Because yeah. yeah, this is all right. This is how I'm going to fix this. Okay, sweet. But if you're emotionally attached to that bit of kit that you might have to replace, you don't want to replace it. Mm. So yeah. I know, like for my to talk openly, my circumstances, the battle for me is one side there's the analytical adult and responsible. And on the other side, there's this fucking angry kid. Yeah. It's like, I'm on my own. I'll fucking kill everyone. And it's the, it's that's the battle, hey? You yeah. like, that's yeah. the battle. And you've got to listen to this side more than you listen to that side. And it's trying to be like recognising in yourself going, okay, you know, I'm in my angry child state. Yeah. I need to take myself back to a rational adult. And it's like, mm. if, you, if you said this shit to me five years ago, I'd be like, fuck, I'm sweet. I'll yeah. go and get on the piss and I'll go on teammates and I wouldn't have listened. Yeah, but you know what? I kept fucking up, kept making the same mistakes. Yeah, kept going down that path. Yeah. 
Mm. And then you see a psychologist, you're like, fuck, why didn't I do this years ago? Yeah. Well, I think that's everyone's individual journey. I think we all walk at different, you know, different steps to sort of get to that point. But I sort of hope and encourage people to try and, you know, oh, we talk a lot, and Anthony talked about it a little bit earlier, about boy mentality versus man mentality. Yeah. You know, you've got to learn that we're all, we're all that little boy still. Everyone's still that little boy, but you've got to, you've got to try and start to shift your mindset and start acting like a man and start mm. taking responsibilities, not looking for people to get you out of trouble. You're the one that's got to step up. You're the one that's got to do it. You've got to build relationships, not just expect relationships to be yeah, coming to you. Yeah, yeah cool. How's the uh, – we were checking on the live. Oh, we got I some viewers still. I think we've got about 3,000 people. Do we? Uh, we got three? <laughs> we <did. laughs> oh, I've, got a, I've got a question to, to throw in there then. All right, if, if you could go back, Anthony, in time, uh, as yourself, and talk to the younger, younger uh, Anger. Yeah. What, what, um, what, what um, advice would you give that young bloke about the life ahead? Hold on. Yeah. Buckle up, mate. Um, I'd probably tell him to not party as much. If I'm <laughs> yeah. To, and and that it's the good times are gonna are still be there when you get older, and they'll actually be more enjoyable and. And a bit funner. It's not that I regret anything, um, but I, yeah, I would change it. I think, like you said, talk about the angry kid, you talk, mm. and that really resonates with me. I just and, it, and it's easy now for me to sit back and identify why I was so angry. And but I used to just be everything was a hundred percent, and still to some aspect today I am. But when I was younger, like from sixteen, I suppose to twenty-one, if I was on the piss, I was on the piss for three or four days. Yeah. I was in the navy, like <clears> when I was at work. I was just so into work and 100% if I was doing All this, or nothing. Just all or nothing and would get offended or pissed off if mates didn't want to come out and get on the piss with me all weekend or, you know, and that's, and I think I'd tell you, yeah, slow down and, yeah, smell the roses, I think, because I think back now, um, some of the times I skipped over, especially when I was really young in the Navy, that, like I'd give anything to be just in that moment yeah. and just stop and go, oh, this is awesome, not wish it away, mm. not wish my time away. Yeah, I don't know if that's an answer, but that's sort of No, no, I like that. I resonated with that um, yeah. when I travelled and, and lived in uh, England and, and, and America and stuff. And I was probably different. I probably wasn't really angry. I was more anxious, scared, you know, yeah. scared more than anything. So, and, and when, you, when you're anxious and you're scared all the time, uh, you sort of miss out on you miss yeah. out on a lot of stuff as well. You don't really mm. don't put yourself out there. Yeah, pay attention. Yeah, exactly. I, I think back to that moments when I was living over. Yeah, in the UK there, and there were so many opportunities I could have experienced, mm. you know, great things, but I sort of held back. Yeah. So I sort of, you know, in, in myself. But And again, that, that's part of my stuff that I've had to go see a psychologist about. It's my anxiety, whereas from the outside, people would never, they don't know. No, no one knows you like that. They yeah. might think that you're just a, oh, he's a bit of reserved yeah. type of bloke, but, you know, I'd be sitting in environments with uh, people that I've played footy with or, you know, friends that I've known for mm. ages, and I wouldn't want to dive into the into the conversation, obviously come a long way down sitting in that <laughs> podcast, sitting on live on Instagram. Yeah, but there are all the things that I've had to overcome. And, yeah. you know, if I also go back, uh, yeah, to some of my younger self, I, I would probably say, mate, go see someone earlier. Like, yeah, don't hold, hold back. Because I, I think throughout my whole life I dealt with it, but I never even knew what it was, you know. So reaching out, I, I wish I reached out more and probably mm. spoke to my parents and said, that's hey, a, this is what's going on. That's a really good point because yeah. we're probably all, been not the best communicators at certain stages in our life and maybe that's the mm. that's the secret maybe you got to speak up you got to talk yeah and it's probably 
you know, a really good thing for, for a lot of blokes that there's like us sitting here talking shit. There's, you know, people, Gus Warner's doing wonderful things. Are you okay day? All this other stuff. And you just didn't see that. And I want to, do you want to explore that last subject a bit further with Anthony? Because I've got a couple of things in my head that I want to show you while we're going. I, I want to hit you right between the eyes with it. I know that you've, you sort of spoke to me and you've mentioned that you've lost some buddies from the military yep. through from the Navy and through, you know, mental health issues. Can we, can we have a bit of a, I guess an exploration into that? I'm not sure where to start. Um, is there, is there, is there a lack of help for return veterans? Is, is that a, a point where to start? Or I'm, I'm not sure. I'm trying to pick apart as we go. Yeah. And she, then get she you. related to veterans or is she just related to people? Oh, I'll, I'll go with, with veterans, I suppose, at the moment. Yeah, I think, um, I think last year, or the last 12 months, we've probably lost, just that I know of, probably six, seven uh, blokes. <laughs> Maybe like, like three or four, like I knew. Mm. Um, a couple were, yeah, like I'd served with. And um, the sad thing is, I suppose, being a vet and being, like I could, not that I could understand, but I could like, I was like, like I, when you hear it and you're sad, you go, I get, I get it. Mm-hmm. Like I get it, and that's sort of probably the wrong mindset to have, or the wrong, but that, and that probably makes the situation even worse to think, oh, that I can, you hear it, you get that phone call, oh, so and so's topped himself or done this, and you think, could have been me, oh, maybe. Yeah, I get it. yeah. yeah. like, yeah, and, and, and that whole, and it's, it's a, probably a whole range of things, and I think, um, like, I know when I went to the, to the army, and then um, I injured myself maybe about 18 months, two years in, and then quite a physical job in the infantry, obviously, running around. Um, and once I couldn't do that job, I sort of, I didn't want to beat her anymore. So I got out and probably the wrong thing to do. So once I was out, I left, you've got a whole safety network around you. And then once you're out, um, you're constantly, you're just trying to fit in or you're trying to, you're, you're trying to fill that gap. And it's a fucking huge gap. It's a huge void that this, that it creates from leaving. And I think if you're trying to fill it, um, like you're just never gonna. So I don't think that's the right answer. I don't know what is. I think there is enough support, but, um, it comes down to the men and women out there. You've, like we've got to, we've got to chase it. Like I've got so many apps and um, so many like services at my disposal. But at the end of the day, it's me that has to fucking pick up the phone and call. It's me that's going to walk into that center. So I don't think it's a, through a lack of support. I just think it's through our our mindset. And I think what the the big thing that um, they miss the mark on is defence. Defense in a hole is when you leave, um, you just cut, like you cut from the, the defense, and it, and a lot of guys leave because they don't want to wear the uniform anymore, and then they try and sell you this thing where they go, oh, if you still want the benefits, if you still want to come to the gym and train with the boys, or you still want to come on the base and just sort of feel normal, mm. why don't you do reserves? Mm. And then you think, fuck, I didn't, I'm not getting out to fucking do reserves. Mm. I'm getting out because I want to fucking get out. Yeah. But then you get out, and then you think, and then you you don't get it. You can't just even go to the base. Like I think it'd be a good option if we could just go to base and. Sit down with the boys, have a brew with them at ten o'clock when they've got a stand plan. Yeah. And um Oh so you can't even do that. You can't return. I can't even I'm not allowed on base. I've got a pass. They take your pass off you. Yeah, right. So right. you can go you gotta get signed in and go through all that and you're a visitor and with weird visitors pass and Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I oh, know it's a security to fucking yeah. and this bike's living on base with him. That was it. Yeah. And this bike's living on base with him. That was yeah. it. And then uh, so we get there, he's not home, we let ourselves in and my missus going, fuck, this is weird. Like, I'm in the house with this guy. And she's going, what are we doing? I'm going, no, hurry, we'll be, like, you know. They'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we get to the best weekend ever. <laughs> she's going, how well do you know these blokes? Not even any other blokes, but they were all 
he was actually a Royal Marine Commando in yeah. England, and then he came across the Australian Army. And I met all these mates out with him, and we all just got along. And this is, the whole time, I was just like, wow, look, he's just like a family. And I thought, yeah, you know what, because we've just you've got that shared experience. And I think as soon as I know someone's a veteran, um, I look across the room from him, and I think, yeah, that's, I know that guy or that man or woman. I know, I instantly know they've got my back. Yeah. I if I'm going to walk into a situation or something about to happen, like I've, I've got trust in them. And I think, yeah, it's when you, when you do leave, um, uh, you do lose that. Yeah. You do lose that, yeah. How big so. Yeah, it's got, it's actually, it's changed Yeah. since I got out. When I was in, um, it was just like, I'll be honest, we just took the piss. I just took, had a big piss up. Yeah. It wasn't, I didn't really know, didn't really care about the background of it. Mm. Um, but then as I've gotten out and I start to realise the things that, um, that were achieved, you know, years and years ago, to think about even... Like, like, we, like me and my dad have a relationship now and um, things that he's done um, and even I think so about your grandfather the rats are to Brook yeah. I done, when I was getting promoted in the Navy and our promotion book, I had to do a presentation on the rats to Brook so yeah, uh, yeah fucking awesome um, yeah but you think about that and all these things that all these men and women in years gone by have given up mm. and served I think um, it means a lot now yeah I think the first Anzac day that I was out of the army um, I didn't leave the house I didn't go out didn't wear my medals and just stayed at home because I didn't want to. I didn't want to see it. I didn't know yeah. how I was going to feel. But now, and now, like the last things I've had, it's probably the best one I've had in years. Yeah, it's got to be. It, it appears to be. Um, it, I think you're right in saying it's changing. That it seems to be each year that I go to Dawn Service, they seem to get bigger. Yeah, there's a lot more um, younger people in the crowd. Yeah, like my all my kids get up and go to Dawn Service. And they, they basically, they either, one, didn't get to meet my grandfather or don't remember because they're too young, mm. but they still carry, I don't know whether it's passed down or if it's something that the country is doing well, they still do carry that pride yeah. and they understand it a bit more. Mm. It's, it's good to see. It's no, nice it's to see, look around at an Anzac Day and there's, yeah. there's, you know, there's 50 or 60 people, the teenagers under, you know, under teenagers with their, with their dads and grandfathers and whatever and they're out the door service and marching yeah it's, cool. it's like it's it's pretty powerful stuff no, eh? you, you said there that so you're starting to build a strong relationship with your dad now years, yeah years on yeah yeah, yeah. touch yeah. on uh, how did that come about and i think that's a powerful thing to, to yeah. know that you had that type of i guess upbringing but then was there a lot of forgiveness was there you know conversations how did you get to the point of Building a relationship. Um, it never like we stopped. We didn't talk for a long time, and I joined the navy and um, sort of slowly reconnected. And uh, I suppose the big thing for me was when I was about like, having kids. And having, oh, excuse me. Uh, I know what it's like to grow up without family members. I suppose, and I thought, you know what, he hasn't done anything to my kids. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be, and he's changed. Mm. Like, and I thought it'd be fucking stupid if they don't know him. Yeah. Um, whether or not, whatever my relationship with him is, yeah. you know, neither he nor there for me. I just wanted to sort of, yeah, him to have a relationship with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. So what, you, and you, what, have open conversations about stuff like that? Or is oh, it... getting there. Get yeah, 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 yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I suppose it's one of those old school blokes. Like, I've never, I've never fucking hugged my dad or, yeah. like, I don't really know what that would feel like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Do you, do you get a fair bit of assistance in um, coaching from your psychologists around Sort of boundaries with your dad and managing. Yeah, yeah, we do yeah. have a lot of that. Yeah, a lot of boundaries and a lot of yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I only asked that question because I've been in that seat as well, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with yeah. my mother. So I was asking oh, the yeah. same thing. Yeah. Same thing. It was just so, yeah, I wonder. Yeah. yeah. Is, is that top up and that reassurance you need? All right, big fella, you're yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Is that, so that's that's sort of developing that relationship for you? Yeah, it's always been, it's been a pretty, I suppose, toxic is the word you could use. We're sort yeah. of like, for, we bring, like, you know, we've always been there. With, like it's always like not talking or talking, but I think um, what I've had to identify even now and this at my age is that he's more like a like a drinking mate to me. Mm-hmm. That yeah. he only gets on the piss with my mates, and you know my mates always knew my dad. He was and he was quite fat, not famous, but a big name in the navy. So everyone sort of wanted to get on the piss with him because of his stories and stuff like that. Yeah. So he's always been there in the background. It's always, it's, a, it's always it's a funny funny relationship because. The way the navy is and the big the circle it is, the sort of um, he was in that group. Yeah, yeah, he was in that group of circle. That's the circle of mates because like, we done the same job. We we're engineers, so mm-hmm. you know my bosses were his mates, and we all sort of ran in these weird circles where we'd end up on the piss. You sort of bump paths. Yeah, all the yeah. time. So he was still the navy while you were in the navy. No, he, he finished the navy. The year he got out was the year I joined. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just how he felt that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Amazing. What do you got for us, Benny? That's pretty crazy. It's um, yeah, it's it's funny that whole management thing, isn't it? I've got I've got a phrase in my head that I, I quite often use, and I don't know if it's applicable to you or not. But I always get told, um, "Why are you mad at a cripple? Would you be mad at a cripple because they can't kick a footy?" Yeah. And I always get told, "Why are you mad at that person? They're they're a child, or they're not evolved, or is that how you sort of see your dad?" In some ways, or yeah, it's funny. That's really, um, yeah, I was having that conversation with someone. Probably, yeah, yeah, that's exactly how I see it. Yeah, exactly. so you got to you got to manage it, hey. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, and, and it's not only you probably you do, you're managing it for your own mental health, right? Yeah, for your own protection because you want to you want to be into the relationship and be involved, but you also have to protect yourself. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're always mindful that you're protecting yourself, and you're like, oh, these are my boundaries, and. You kind of have to call it for what it is, hey? No, exactly right. You are right, yeah. yeah. What else you got, Webby? No, we're coming up to we're over the hour hour mark now, but um, I reckon if we start to wind into some questions to wind it down, I guess, have you got a message out there for any young, uh, yeah, Koori or Murray? See again? I'm, I'm not questioning. <laughs> yeah, not sure. That's the right thing to say. Any uh, you know, young males and, or young boys and girls out there, what, what's your message then? Do you think... Joining the defence is the way to go. What are you? Um, what are you? What are you? I think it's a. I think yeah. I'd recommend the defence hundred percent. I think you've got to sit down with your family beforehand and um, just just talk about what you've got to have a goal. I think in the military, what you want to achieve, what I want to get out of it. I think I was lucky. I, got, I left the military. I, had a, I bought, a, bought myself a house and um, achieved quite a lot going overseas. And I think while I was in the navy. I went to about 37 countries, um, so I, got, I was quite fortunate. Um, but I think if you go in there absentmindedly or just without any direction, yeah. um, the, the, the military will fucking pick you up, fuck you up, and then leave you. Yeah. Right? And you'll be, before you know it, you'll be 20 years in, four divorces deep, and fucking bankrupt, yeah. right? which is probably what happened to my dad, yeah. to be honest. Um, but no, I recommend it. I think there's, don't rush into fucking diss the army, but the army was pretty fucking, it's a special type of weirdo that wants to join the army. <laughs> okay, yeah. And I'd probably recommend that to um, more of the like the footy footy type. Yeah. Because yeah. You're used to just doing shit training sessions 
a lot a lot of the time and that's <laughs> the army is just a whole bunch of shit and yeah, yeah. not achieving a lot. Just grunt work. It's just fucked. But, yeah. um, unless you don't, I was only a grunt, so I can speak on that. Yeah. But the Navy was fun. I enjoyed the Navy. I'd recommend that. Getting in there, get a trade. Getting a trade, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that was really fortunate for me. Um, something I never thought I'd do. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. There's probably, yeah, I guess the, the term institutionalised gets, yeah. gets thrown around a lot. And I, I've seen sort of being involved in, you know, business management and that sort of stuff, getting... And I've actually worked with like diesel mechanics out of the army. Yeah. And they have all the common theme for me, and, and I'm not dissing what you did in the Navy in any means, but the common theme for me is they they were institutionalised and they were really good at what they got taught, but what they got taught was quite a small window. Oh, yeah. So they didn't, and a couple of these guys have often said to me, it took them a couple of years out of the army to be in general sort of, you know, civilian to actually feel like they've completed their trade. Yeah. Would that be a fair... Oh, so I think if you're going to join as a tradie, especially like, yeah, what, what I've done, um, don't, yeah, don't think you're going to get a broad spectrum of training, right? Well, you're going to learn because purely what I, I learned how to do my trade on a ship that was like 30 or 40 years old on equipment that we're using that was probably hasn't been used in civilian industry for maybe 50 years. Yeah. So I'm really good at fixing a diesel that... No one uses ever. Yeah. I'm really good at working on gas turbines that aren't used anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And I can fix hydraulic systems that we don't use anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you're still still yeah. cut still cutting the thread winding yeah. in the chuck, you're not yeah. uh, you're not auto on the lathe. No, 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 yeah, exactly. I can do heaps of stuff. If I if it was nineteen sixty I'd be a really good fitter. <laughs> but but you've got to know what you do take out of it is you will you can you can work fucking long hours work and ethic. Yeah. You know, you can rock up punctual on time, you mm. need clean cut, um, <coughs> you're not going to fuck up. And I think that, so if you, you go, you know what, I've learned how to do it the old way, I can give myself a year or two and I'll adjust. And a lot of the guys that, I, that did go into trade when they got out and done my job, uh, what they would do is they, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't apply as full-time as tradesmen, they'd apply as third years. And even though they've got their trade certificate, they'd still apply for jobs as third years. just come up that way. They'd come up that yeah, way. Fair. They'd just sell themselves and then get, get themselves into a pickle. Yeah, um, yeah. Or we go to the managing side of things, which is what I like. I done. I took when I got to that level and up to the, the project management or the where I could oversee my ta- my tradies and I knew how to get on the tra- technical system. Yeah, to the, yeah. The plan maintenance, scheduling, and all that sort of stuff. So do the forecasting and that yeah. sort of stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah. If there's one thing that you could uh, get across to everyone about your culture, um, you know, for you know, white fellows or anyone, you know, Polynesians or anyone to understand about the. I'm going to say Indigenous, perhaps, that's yeah. Indigenous yeah. culture. What, yeah, what, what, what would that be? Well, I think it's um, one thing to get across what, what, what they want to know, what I want them to know. Yeah, what, what you want them to know, them to know or, or what, like one thing that you feel is misunderstood or uh, that could help change people's mindset towards whatever they, whatever they may be. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's hard because I think everyone, if, like, so often I get um, like, yeah, you speak well for an Aboriginal person, or oh. yeah, you look, like you, you, you know, you could pass for something else. So why don't you just say something else? Or you, know, you don't have to say, say you're Aboriginal. And yeah. I think it's like um, for a lot of people that might not realise, um, like I, I have an obligation, I suppose, in my to myself, but not only to myself because of the connection I have to my family and what I know that my nan went through, and my great grandmother and my great grandfather went through, and my mum went through. Mm. I've got an obligation to them. Two, 
identify loud and proud. And just because I look like I'm not Aboriginal or because I can pass as something else, mm. that means I've got more of a responsibility <laughs> as, than the people that do look Aboriginal. Yeah. I've got more responsibility to say that I am than to identify and be proud. Mm. And I think I just wish that, um, like we talked about Anzac Day, and, the, and I think it's fantastic, the absolute pride that this nation is starting to build on Anzac Day and the pride that we have with veterans, I think it's growing. I think it's fantastic. Mm. And the fact that we don't have that for our First Nations people in Australia, it's sad. It's like, Definitely. And I think if I, I've been to a lot of countries and every country I went to, I've immersed myself in the local um, the Indigenous people and their yeah. culture. And I'm going, you know, when I went to Egypt, I fucking learned everything I could about Egyptian culture. When I went to fucking Kenya, I, learned, I went and lived in a, like, stayed in a village and fucking went out bush in Kenya and Tanzania. And, yeah. you know, went every, and I was like, but then if I was Australian, if I was a white Australian or a Caucasian Australian that had no connection to Aboriginal culture, I would fucking immerse myself in this country's culture mm. just because how cool is it that I live in a, in a country where still, they're still practising culture, there's still that, that thing there. Yeah. Yeah, so I think... And is there, is, there, is there programs or things like that out there at the moment for people to do that? Yeah, I think there is. I think, I think um, I don't know, there's this, like a lot of... Um, oh, I don't know if there's programs, but there's, like, there's definitely local community centres. I know... Yeah. Goldie and stuff, they've got a, a community centre there where you can go and have a walk around and get um like the Ugamba, there's a Ugamba um, cultural centre that's up the road. So, we might do some research on that, research on that and yeah. maybe um, bring a bit of that up in the next episode. Yeah, so I, I actually... Yeah. Because you, you, have you touched on... With you, you, you not a hell of a lot, no. I will I will touch on the... um When you say about... We asked about the programs and that. Yeah. Um, I, I went through the territory at Christmas as I was yeah. telling you before, and you see all these people like people want to go overseas and they want to go to Bali and they yeah. want, go, you know what? Go to fucking Darwin. Yeah. Go to Darwin. Go to Kakadu. Go to Litchfield. Go to all these places. Go there in a quiet time and go into those fucking caves and look at all the cultural paintings that have been there for thousands and thousands of years. And tell me you don't fucking feel it. Mm. Yeah. That's what it is, right? Yeah. You know, they go go and see the country. Go and see what's around in the beautiful country. You don't need to you don't need to go to fucking Las Vegas. Mm. Go to Kakadu. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, exactly. Yeah. Like there's so much beauty in there. Go to the Kimberley, you know, go go to these sorts of places. Like you'll go to Devil's Marbles. You'll you'll never find places more beautiful and spiritually healing than those places. No, exactly. Right. That's that's what I think. I think there's got to be a push for for local tourism within the country, yeah. or, and maybe that's when there'll be some understanding of the. You know, you go to like Devil's Marbles, Kalu Kalu. You go there and it, it tells you all the stories about the people, and you're not allowed to go over to this area because the bad man's hiding over there. Yeah. You know, and you you learn, and you like, and before you know it, you're there for four or five hours. You've stopped at every little signpost and you read all these under signs, mm. and you get it. Yeah, yeah, you get it, and you understand. Yeah, and that, I think that's what it is. It's just that willingness to. Is that something you need to find out more about? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and like you're going through, we we went. Um, Laura and I went <coughs> at the start of wet season, so we we went last Christmas. So we got to do. Um, we did Catherine Gorge in a jet boat instead of doing the few boats walking and changing. So yeah. we did it in a jet boat. And I still remember this this one corner. It's one junction of the of the gorge, and the water swirls, and it's one of the deepest parts of 
of the gorge. <coughs> and the tour guides were very good. They were, they were both a couple of, um, you know, white Aussie guys. And they, I still remember the story. He was like, oh, the, this is a very sacred place for the, for the local people. They don't fish here. This is one of the deepest parts of the river. It is believed that Rainbow Serpent rests at the bottom yeah. of this gorge in this part. And you just like, you can't help but one, be proud, and two, be emotional, and three, and I, and I feel like we're opening a can of worms, but this fucking country's got to do better. Yeah. And that's just like, go there and see, see these places, and you get it, hey, and you under, that's why it's hard when we talk about the flag. <laughs> Because I understand both sides of it as well. Yeah. But if you get a bit of cultural experience, you can. It's hard to put into words what's going to be the change. But you, you get it. You yeah. understand why there's so much emotion around it. Yeah. And you can't. I don't think you can teach that. I think people have to experience that for themselves. And yeah. they're not going to know until they go there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'll get off my soapbox now. No, no, Sorry. No, I like it. I wonder how they're feeling on that Instagram live with you coughing into that microphone. Give me two seconds. <laughs> Better than you tapping on the desk. <laughs> you were tapping before. Gotcha, Russ. Anthony's doing these sorts of like, heads, heads. Uh, well, I'll finish it off with uh, one last question then. All right. Uh, we talked about mental health and adversity and, and, and building resilience and that. Um, yeah, I'll probably... Hit his boat, we'll start with you, Anthony. Um, what's, what's the first step or what's, what's your suggestions to people? What do you reckon they need to do? Um, they've just got to be, oh, you've just got to have that honest, honest conversation with yourself, I think. Really, really look in it. And if it takes, if it's writing something down or, and then and reading through it or, um, finding a closer loved one to talk to, sometimes that's a bit too hard, but you've really got to have that honest conversation with yourself, have that real that real proper talk and go, yeah, and and then get the power or get the strength to go and see the doctor, get that mental health care plan, mm. uh, go and see the psych. But you need to be real. You just need to be honest. No, no point sugarcoating anything from yourself. Right? Mm. You can't lie to yourself. Can you? Nah. Nah. You'll catch yourself out all the time. Matty, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think... Um, the other thing is too, and we touched on this a bit earlier, there's there's quite often thousands, millions of people that are in a similar situation to yourself and going through those issues. Yeah. So you'd be surprised if you if you saddle up to one of your mates at work or one of your colleagues and you hit them with something, you know what? They're, they're probably going to go, yeah, I understand. Mm. And you've got to be able to yeah, get it off your chest and have a have a chat about it. I think it's I'm – I'm a firm believer. I, I don't – and this goes for kids, you know, adults, elderly. I don't think mental health and those sorts of issues, you just medicate. Oh, I'm against that. I think the, mm. we just need to talk. I think we can yeah. solve a lot of our problems with talking, mm. sharing stories. You know. This is where we disagree, though, because I, I do take medication for mm. myself with anxiety and stuff. And I would, I would say now, if it wasn't for that, mm. like I, I don't know if I would have been able to change. Yeah, the, the I, I guess so. Mindset. So... But I see the I see the purpose. Like I'd like yeah. to hope that one day I don't need that stuff, and I've and I've in, you know, implanted processes in my life and actions and, and yeah. things that I don't have to worry about. It. But for now, or, or to be able to change that curve, you know that that has really really helped me. And and, mm-hmm. and even touching on just finding that one person to talk to. Yeah. I mean, if you uh, told me 
like seven years ago that I'd be sitting in a room with two other blokes doing a podcast, <laughs> bringing up conversations about anxiety or depression or mental health or suicide or anything like that, mm. I would have freaked at the idea of even mm. letting those words come out of my mouth to now where we are right now, having a chat about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I just want to clarify a little bit. Yeah. I guess what I was saying about the medication thing, I think too often children you know, people in general, they just get put into a box. Yeah, yeah. This is your diagnosis, here's your medication. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I, you know what I mean? I think yeah. there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's sort of what I'm saying. I think you shouldn't just go, yeah. let's drug this kid or let's drug this bloke. I think yeah. you can, a lot of it, you can, you can actually repair and you can reprogram a little bit. We're yeah. not, we're human beings, we're smart. We can yeah. reprogram. We don't. We can change how we think a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can, yeah, you can evolve and everything. But, but also with the medication, just to touch on that, if there are people that are, you know, thinking or they're in that situation, the medication is the same as the psychology. The psycho- psychologist. The first thing they put you on, not necessarily going to be the right thing. No. So you don't just, yeah, you know, take someone's um, word for it. No, that's going to change everything. You still got to walk the path of. Yeah. Is this the right thing? Well, I know, maybe Trial and error. Well, I might need to talk to someone different. Like, there's no just sort of one thing fixes it. Yeah. You've got to continually do it. And I think, you know, part of these conversations is what helps me. Like, I know as soon as we finish here, I'm going to be, you know, skipping and, and pretty happy that mm-hmm. you talked about stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's the power of it, eh? Hey? 100%. Just think, you know, for a few blokes that can just sit around and talk shit and even even this, even though it's, it's only in its infancy, the amount of people at footy and in your life in general, and you kind of, we might have spoke about it before, when someone knows that they can trust you to talk about that or they hear you talk about that, they get drawn to you, right? They do, yeah. And you have, like, you start, and you're not, you're not having, you're not babysitting people, but you start having a lot of people that are like-minded. And I find hearing other people's stories and that sort of, it, it's also helping me process at the mm. same time. So it's a, it's a two-way street, you know? Yeah, you're right. That's interesting you say that when you're about yourself. Because you're probably the first bloke that I've ever met where like, we'd sit down um, where we met each other and you'd ask me, you'd just call me out. How are you? Like, how are you? No, but how are you mentally? Or how are you? Doing? Yeah. And that was that hit me. And that's probably, you talk about being drawn to someone. That's probably the reason I was drawn to you, mate. Like, yeah. I was like, here's this, stuff, this bloke that, you know, I resonate with on, you know, with footy and all that sort of stuff. But here he is asking me how, how my head is. Yeah. And that's, you're the fucking first bloke that's ever asking that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And it's taken a long time. <clears throat> journey to get to that, that yeah. sort of point. Mm-hmm. But, and it's like everything we're talking about now, it's once you start talking about it, it just becomes natural. Yeah. And it's actually probably more what I care about than anything, really. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, how people are mentally and emotionally. But then also, you know, we spoke about it downstairs, was about, you know, empowering and not um, being too sympathetic. Yeah. You don't want to get too drawn into people's stuff, but you're also there to help and, and encourage in a, in a new direction is, is what you want to try and do. But, yeah, no, I like it. I, I find it. Oh, I find it enjoyable. Enjoyable. Hell yeah. Yeah. Wrap it up. Sweet. Wrap it up. That's it. It's another one in the bank. (laughs) Do we actually have anyone watching? Oh, there's a couple of icons up there. (laughs) Cliffo's probably gone, the big fella. Oh, no. Take the headphones off. Stop coughing into the mic. <laughs> 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 this boy is really good. I like it. You got all your fans messaging in there. 
official i hope everyone's had a fucking stellar start to 2021 2020 was a, a fucked up year for quite a few of us for more than a number of reasons but uh yeah hopefully she's on the change and this year's going to be a lot better i just wanted to um make a couple of announcements about the the podcast and some of the things that are happening uh behind the scenes for us in 2021 got some some exciting news we've got our first sort of half a dozen guests lined up, ready to lay some tracks down. Um, we've got uh, an Order of Australia medalist. We've got a, a high-ranking university professor. We've got a couple of guys that are internationally renowned in the rugby league um, scene. We've got another professor of an alternative medicine. Um, we've got several people um in the indigenous communities um want to discuss about some other issues relating to blm and that sort of stuff and we've also got a couple of school teachers and some really really interesting people that are colleagues of mine and friends so there's plenty happening um like i said earlier in a post i think we're going to try and drop something in february so hang on till then and let's get after it it's, um yeah, on a side note, this is what I do Monday to Friday. I fuck around with earth moving machinery, parts and undercarriage and have done for most of my adult life, finishing after finishing my apprenticeship. Not uh, not overly gra- glamorous, guys, but hey, we've all got to earn our bread somewhere. Give us a shout out, give us a follow, pass the page around. We're coming for you guys. Happy days. See ya. Welcome to Head Noise Official. I am The Fridge, coming to you from the Darwin foreshore. Uh, just after 7 p.m., sun's about to set, a few jet skis in the background and a couple of tugboats and they going out for the evening. Um, I had a few messages of late, a few guys reaching out, not doing so well, other people struggling with some other, other life issues. Um, keep, the, keep the DMs and phone calls coming, guys. If you ever need someone to chat to or need an ear or or check in on or someone to follow you up on something, give us a call or give us a shout. We're here to help. Uh, been enjoying the last week on the road. We left Brisbane on the 20th and we've slowly made our way up here to Darwin and seen lots of um, cultural sites, um, done a fair bit of connecting with country and just sort of understanding in general uh, some of the issues and, and some of the the things facing the Indigenous community um, around this part of the country. So, um, like I said, keep giving us a follow, give us a share, tell your mates, get on board. We're coming. Happy days.
Thank you for joining us on another episode of Head Noise Official, brought to you by Admino. Admino is a perfect way to send content to your staff and monitor their progression. Perfect for staff inductions, policies and procedures, and staff development. Check out www.admino.com. And if you'd like to come on to an episode of Head Noise Official, please email us at headnoiseofficial at gmail.com. Or you can head over to our Facebook page, Head Noise Official, and send us a message through there. If we can ask you to like, share, and comment, we'd like to bring more content to help people overcome adversity and build resilience in their lives. We hope you have a wonderful week, look after each other, and go out there and crush those goals. Cheers, guys. See you on the next episode.